and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here, hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And uh, 2011 has arrived. Happy New Year. And with 2011, we have a fresh lineup of radio drama programming. Looking ahead, um, have a lot of what I have in mind for you already planned out. Um, as we approach our fourth year of podcasting. Pretty cool uh, to keep keeping here and uh, continue to hear from you guys and uh, know that you like what you hear. Um, and we try to keep your needs <laughs> in mind and uh, keep the, the programming as diverse um, as it is regular. Um, you know, uh, all sorts of tastes. And I will say, uh, just a sneak peek, we will have everything from drama to comedy to sci-fi to fantasy to horror to adventure to classics and well, even some stuff made by computers this year on the show. Um, so uh, thank you for joining me for another year. Uh, appreciate your ears and hope you like what we uh, dish out. Um, today, we're going to call this uh, a really exciting piece to share with you. It's, well, I won't call it a radio drama revival exclusive, but it is something you're going to have a really hard time finding anywhere uh, else, actually. Uh, this serial aired on WBAI back in 1980. Um, it, it is heavily informed, influenced, and under the influence of the 1970s era, uh, a soap opera, if you will, if you've got to call it um, a genre, um, <laughs> you'd call it a soap opera about a group of struggling young writers who are trying to make ends meet living in New York. But um, it is edgy, funny, sarcastic, um, fun piece um, called Our Life Together Among the Works of Arts by Jessica Ramey. Um, so a short anecdote, um, this is the kind of production that you'll hear here because I actually met uh, one of the actors, Pope, um, and I'll let you try to figure out who he is, um, who ended up starring in my latest work, The Cleansed, uh, told me about his work in radio at WBAI back in the 1980s. Um, and so now this work appears on Radio Drama Revival's podcast. So um, if you are ever live in an apartment or ever live near, near, uh, in New York, you'll especially enjoy this, but everyone else will get a kick out of it too. Our life together among the works of art. Enjoy. Time for Our Life Together Among the Works of Art, the radio show that tries to depict life as it really is for some people. And aren't you glad you're not one of them? Well, you see the problem. Stop making have. cracks about our problems. You just wish something would happen to you once in a while. I'm content to just stand back and watch it all unfold. The progression of the centuries, telling a tale of change, but no progress. Oh, well, you got it out. We have to get to the plot. This is the show about underemployed writers and the vagaries of their lives in this glittering metropolis of ours. As our story opens around the kitchen table in the little apartment at 522, there is a state of emergency. Our inhabitants must handle this crisis diplomatically, for their very domestic tranquility is at stake. In short... 
overflowing. Oh no, did it happen again? Come on, where's the bucket? I got What's it. What's going on? I think it's gold. I'm getting it out. Hold oh, on. Oh, is it gas as well? Oh, come on, Red. Don't get it. Get over here. We need It, don't worry. <sighs> it's not gonna hold, but we got it. I don't believe this all over the floor. Where I come from, at least we had natural disasters. Did you write to the landlord yet? Did you? I did a draft. Now, how about you? I just have to put the finishing Break touches. Break it out, Jay. Break it out. Well, what is all this? Somebody better write to the landlord. And yesterday, when the toilet broke the first time, we just called a plumber because the landlord sort of takes his time with things. Now we have to write and explain. Did the plumber come? It looks to me like it's still broken. Oh, it is. The plumber came by and said he had to get a particular part for it, and he'll be back tomorrow. So now we have to deduct it from the rent and everything, and the landlord's going to ask why we didn't call the super first. You know how landlords are. I want everything spelled out. So anyway, Jay and I had different ideas about what to say to the landlord, so we decided we'd each do an initial draft and sort of collaborate on the final version. Uh-huh. So, let's see what you got, Jay. Well, I might have misplaced it now that I think of it. Might take me a few minutes to find I've it. I've got all afternoon. Well, maybe I'll just look it over quickly first. Jay, are you going to spend the rest of your career rewriting one letter to the landlord? He wants it to be absolutely perfect. You never know. The landlord might own a publishing company secretly. Maybe he could give Jay a job. Did you have Julian do a draft too, in verse? I can just see it. The flowing water in my chambers makes me think of you, Mr. Schmoogle, of your stingy heart, of your lack of respect for art. I'm not sure Julian would be capable of such lurid verse. Well, I'm not ashamed of my letter. Are you implying I'm ashamed of mine? No. You're awfully defensive. Why? Do you have to defend your writing? Well, I know you think a good offense is the best defense. Oh, yeah? Are you implying I'm offensive? Well, you sometimes try to not shock your readers, but not let them get too complacent. Well, I sort of envy your remove, Jay. It's sort of Nabokovian. You like to sort of sit back and weave words around a situation. I bet you avoided using the word toilet in the whole letter. And got away with it, I'm sure. Now, don't get me wrong. What's wrong with Nabokov? What do you mean, what's wrong with Nabokov? You're implying something's wrong with him. Well, he's a second-rate writer. I don't think I respect him any the less for it. A second-rate writer? A second-rate writer. A second-rate writer? I disagree. I say he's a first-rate writer. Oh, I say he's second-rate. First-rate. Second-rate. I think he's on the borderline. Well, let's see your no-doubt wonderful letter read. I'll read it, but you'll have to read yours first. I don't want to be the only one. I'm a man. I can take that challenge. I'll read it. Oh, come on, Jay. I can't wait to hear it. You never show us any of your stuff. Well, just a second. I'll have to go look for it. If he can find it, that excuse for a room of his. Well, let's see yours. Calm down. I'll read it in good time, my dear, in good time. Jay, hurry up. The suspense is too much. I found it. I can believe it. Do you want to hear it or not? Of course we do. After I hear it, I'll die happy right here on the table. Mmm, delicious. You're procrastinating. All right, here is my letter to the landlord. We're all ears. We're listening with bated breath. You trying to catch mice? I thought you wanted to hear this. Please go on and we'll be good. All right, here is my letter to the landlord, but it's just a first draft. Mr. Nathan Schmuggle, 5907 186 Road, Garden Mansions, Queens. Dear Mr. Schmuggle. Oh, this is very moving, Jay. Do you have a handkerchief? 
This is the letter. This is the form a business letter generally takes. This is really interesting. I'll continue if the audience will permit me. Dear Mr. Schmuggle... You read us that part, though it's really poetic. I could hear it again and again. Let him read. We are writing to explain why it has become necessary to deduct the following expenses, parenthesis, see attached, in parenthesis, from this month's rent. What happened was this. The bathroom plumbing had been malfunctioning for some time. The inflow tube in the tank was closing incompletely, and the water would run until one removed the top of the tank and repositioned the inflow tube. On March 5th, while it was being repositioned, the tube broke off. Water was shooting up as far as the ceiling, clearly an emergency situation. We thought it best to call a plumber immediately, rather than going through your office due to the extreme nature of the emergency. We hope you will consider this a sensible decision under the circumstances sincerely yours. Very diplomatic. Really, very persuasive. I concede defeat, but let me read my version. Of course, that was part of the bargain. I don't default on my debts. may take a while to pay them, but I never let a friend down. So, let's hear it. I've got it right here. Okay, you ready? Better sit down. Go on with it. We're all attention. You asked for it, friends. You mouse-faced tweep. Not only do you try to freeze us out of here and expose us to rats, roaches, and other horrible beasts of urban blight, now you visit us with this indignity, a flood in our bathroom. Now, this is inhuman treatment. If you don't do something about it, no time flat, you're going to pay for it. You've been warned. You'd better fix it or else. you better start carrying a broken bottle with you at all times. You'll need it if you ever meet me in a dark alley. You pitiful slob. That's it? That's it. Seems to me I've said it all. I wouldn't have done it that way, but nobody asked me. Well, it's got great literary merit, but I think my version might have more of the desired effect. Come on! Landlord and suddenly going to be filled with Christian virtues just because he gets this one diplomatic business letter from you. I think I could have uh, done excuse one... Excuse me. And this brings to a close this exciting episode of Our Life Together Among the Works of Art. The radio show brought to you by the Serious Magazine Readers of America, the people who say, don't let your verbal facility dribble away. Read a magazine today. Who writes this copy? Tune in again next time for another exciting Turn adventure. up a theme and get out of here. Anybody mind if I roll a joint of marijuana? Now, it's time for our life together among the works of art. The radio show that shows you the consequences of accepting the mind-body dichotomy. 
Yes, we show you how to intellectualize your problems away. As our story opens, the front door to the little apartment at 522 also opens to let in three of our little friends, those struggling young writers you've come to know so well, who are returning from a hard day at the movies. That's what I call a movie. Pull up your chair to the table, heaped high with crud in the cozy kitchen, or if you prefer another metaphor, install your bugging equipment. That reminds me, Julian, did you call the exterminator? And listen, as our so-called well, plot advances... I'm not going to have anything to do with the little creatures. You're only calling the exterminator, not the roaches. I call them as I say. Hey, excuse me, but you guys are supposed to be having a high-level intellectual discussion about the movie. What movie? The one you just went to, stupid. All right. Now, as I was saying, now that's what I call a movie. No blood, no vampires, no creatures from outer space, no cowboys, war, no car chases. Just plenty of love. Oh, are you making fun of it, Red? I thought it was beautiful. Well, I did, too. That part where he's walking in the rain, thinking of her, after he marries the other one, I was almost moved to tears. Oh, oh you are God. making fun of it, Red. I just thought it was so beautiful. Hey, no kidding. I did like it. I'm interested in love. Uh-huh. I thought it was stupid. I knew we could count on you for a fresh perspective. Phoebe, aren't you interested in love? Love is a snare and a delusion. That would make a good poem. Love is a snare and a delusion. It shatters your illusions. I don't believe in fusion. Oh, go to hell. Red, you're so cynical. Yeah. Only realistic, my boy. No, seriously, I'm the biggest romantic there ever was. I sometimes think that's true, Red, when you're not talking about death. What's wrong with death? Oh, let's talk about death, I'd rather. Oh. Now, let's talk about the movie. Now, why didn't you like it? Well, I just thought it was stupid. Why didn't he stay with the artist? I don't see why he had to leave her for that dumb little housewife person. Because he thought he'd be destroyed if he stayed with her. Oh. And he never really knew she was in love with him, remember? He kept talking about what a nice, pure relationship they had. Oh, he knew. Remember near the end when he tells her he's going back to the country to take care of his father and marry the young widow and he hopes they'll always be friends? He wouldn't have said that if he didn't think they weren't going to be. Plus, which he was right, because then she says she doesn't ever want to have anything to do with him. Oh, uh, you're making her sound like a fishwife, Fred. She was so dignified. <clears throat> As I recall, she says, if we can't speak honestly from now on, let us never speak again. Our little Sony. Panasonic. The radio show that asked the question, Panasonic find happiness as the wife of a reclusive art historian. Uh, you see, Julian, you can do it when you try. Yeah. But listen, Phoebe, he never wanted to get into the whole art scene in Tokyo. She was the one who was so big on that. You know, being the first abstract painter in Japan or whatever. He just wasn't as ambitious as she was. He knew damn well that she was never going to move out to the sticks with him. Well, he didn't have to move to the sticks either. Yes, he did, Phoebe. He didn't have any choice. Somebody had to take care of his father after the old guy gets hit by the car. But what about the scene in the restaurant? Which one? I love the way the people in Murasaka's films go to restaurants When he all goes the out time. drinking with his brother and the brother says he'll take care of the father. Oh, but couldn't you tell he was lying? And he just says he'll send money, not that he'll take care of the guy. Remember, they leave the restaurant and they see the blind man wandering around the street lost. And all the brother thinks about is getting a cab, and the hero has to go rescue the blind man. You got that, didn't you, Red? Sure. Actions speak louder than words. Well, I guess I miss the implications. Maybe you're right. Well, Murasaki's indirect. That's one of the great things about him. And the young widow is really cute, too. I don't blame him for picking her. That's my kind of woman. Totally subservient, totally patient. S Southern women are like that. That's probably the only kind they'll ever put up with me. And the widow needed him, Phoebe. She couldn't bring up her kid all alone. The artist was totally self-sufficient. She wasn't self-sufficient. She was lonely. All she had was the cat. She was sexually frustrated. How do you know? Pets are a symbol of sexual frustration. Is that why you can't stand our cat? Rose, 
I can't stand Rose because her litter box is less fragrant than her name. And she's paranoid, biting everybody. I bet she reminds you of your unfulfilled desires, Red. Who says my desires are unfulfilled? By the way, Red, where were you last night? None of anybody's damn business where I was last night. I couldn't care less where you were last night. Well, I don't mind telling you I had a highly enjoyable evening. Uh Highly? Does that mean you got stoned? That wasn't a half of it. You got his stuff? As a matter of fact, oh, I can you give us a know. fix, huh, Julian? Please, uh, can we have some? Come on, huh? get it. Anyway, the whole underlying theme of the movie was a guy's internal conflict between the new and the old. Even though he's drawn toward the modern, he can't let go of tradition. And that's a part of him that wins out. Want to do the honors, Red? Sure will. I missed what you said about the part that wins out. Well, the guy in the movie was stuck between these two worlds, right? Old and new Japan. Pre-war and post-war. Right. So he's not prepared to drop the whole past like she is. Which she? The artist. As far as he's concerned, all they have is an intellectual friendship. He likes her, but that's not what he wants in a wife. He wants someone who'll pick up his dirty socks after him and keep the kids out of his hair. Not someone who's going to be zooming around Tokyo pursuing a career. He knows she's a freak. He believes in her, but... What do you mean? does not believe in her. He refuses to review her show. But he's done as much as he can for her already. He introduces her to the gallery owner, and he knows he'll get laughed at if he pushes her work. Mm-hmm. In any way, he never did want to be an avant-garde critic. That's all her idea. Oh. Yeah, Phoebe, remember at the beginning, before he meets the artist, he's trying to be a scholar? And he's excited by her point of view in the whole modern world, which her being an abstract painter represents. Mm. But after his father gets hit by the car... He realizes the new age is going to destroy the old, so he sides with tradition. Oh. <clears throat> there you go, guys. All natural dried leaves. Oh, thanks, Red. Well, thank you for providing it. I forgot it was mine to start with. Phoebe? Thanks. <clears throat> well, I still wasn't impressed with the movie. You sure are hard to please. You don't like Murasaki, you don't like Boneholder? Jay maintains that Murasaki is the major talent of the Japanese cinema. Oh, yeah? Well, to me, it was just another piece of sentimental mush. Phoebe, you gonna take your turn? Yeah, hand it over. So let's talk about love. What have you got against it? I suppose it's fine for other people. Oh, brother. Well, right now, I'm in absolutely no danger. But I know it'll happen again. It'll work out just as badly as every other time but I'll rush into it gladly and blindly. Haven't you ever been in love? Of course. That's why I'm through with it. Well, what did love do for you? It gave me diarrhea. It made me cry again for the first time in years. No, it was sheer misery from beginning to end. It makes a fool of you, that's all. Of course it does. That's one of the things that makes it so wonderful. (sighs) What happened to you, Phoebe, the last time you were in love? Oh, it was unrequited. I was madly in love with this guy, but nothing ever happened. I mean, I just... Was he in love with you? I have no idea. Well, did he know you were in love with him? I have no idea. Well, you never told him? Of course not. Well, you should have confessed. Uh, you just didn't want your bubble to burst. I know. So you kept your cool the whole time. Yeah, he even used to tell me, don't be cool, Phoebe, be real. Well, you should have confessed. I never got a chance. I kept putting it off. I don't know. I mean, I meant to, but we were fighting all the time. What'd you fight about? Oh, it's too complicated. We couldn't agree on how to run a business. You have to take chances, you know. I just couldn't make myself do it. Would you say you had a tendency to fall in love with men you can't have? Why do you ask that? Uh, He's just giving you a tune to improvise on. Mm, Yes and no. It's a yes part that interests me. Mm, 
from one perspective, I'd say yes, that seems to have happened. But from my hardcore feminist perspective, I'd say it's a sense of self-preservation that makes all the choices I've made the right ones, from mm. the point of view of my work. So you believe in love, but you believe it's irreconcilable with your work, is that it? Well, I think love is an unfulfillable desire. Ah, so you just divest yourself of desires. Oh, desire is hard. Well, I just won't have any then. Is that what I'm doing? You really think you can just renounce love? Looks like I'm going to have to. It's just incompatible with my work. Oh, I don't find it incompatible with my work. It's inspiring. Oh. In fact, it's my major source of inspiration. Oh, in fact, sometimes I think I just fall in love to give myself something to write about. Well, that happened to me. But what I wrote was so stupid. From now on, I'm going to write criticism. We'll have to watch out for you. A critic can undo years of a writer's work. Mm, you better watch out. After I demolish poetry, I'm going to tear into science fiction. Oh, now I know what they were talking about when they said the pen was mightier than the sword. <laughs> you know, just the other day you were accusing critics of being parasites living off the creative people. Yeah, mm -hmm. it seems to me you accused George of draining all the life out of Bowen Holder's movies. Well, I don't believe in criticism so much, really. Maybe I just do it to get back at other people. Didn't you write poetry ever? Only when I was a kid. Oh, poetry's kid stuff, Julia. Love is probably kid stuff, too. Yeah, I fell for it. But now I'm old enough to know better. Now you can get down to a life of work. Yeah. Oh, I just don't know where you get the idea it's love versus work. It never occurred to me that they weren't uh, inextricably intertwined. I mean, if you were a test pilot or something, it's maybe. It's a well-known feminist concept. You can't surrender your identity to someone else. I didn't know it was all that bad. <sighs> can't you be in love and still be yourself? God, I'm always in love. Well, not now, but most of the time, ever since I was four years old, and I'm still me. Me too. Well, for instance, do you consider this conversation love or work? Oh, work, I guess. Oh, I'd say it was love. This is it? Oh, well, I think it's work. Don't you comprehend the phrase, a labor of love? Morning, oh. Jay. Did you have a nice nap? Oh. Is there any slow speed? Yeah, there's some left. Heat it up. Oh. I don't know why I'm so tired. I'm too old to take an afternoon nap. Oh, I had the strangest dream. Yeah? Well, I dreamt... Oh, the sequence is so hard to remember. First there was a long shot, and then the credits. Yes, and it said, directed by Jay Seattle. Really? No. <laughs> well, I dreamt I was traveling in Europe with a guy and a girl, and we both started having an affair with this girl. We were in a car together, so we drove up to the place where I grew up in Kew Gardens, which looked the same as ever, only smaller. And let's see. Oh, yeah. There was an old black man out in front with a garden of cucumbers, only he wouldn't sell us any. Mm -hmm. Then I also dreamed about ideas. I dreamt ideas about the difference between eroticism and love and how they relate to the musical numbers of Busby Berkeley. Oh, God. When I spoke to the man with the cucumbers, I felt that something very important was occurring. There was a mood of tense solemnity as in the late Alan Dwan film called Tennessee's Partner. I never have dreams like that. Oh, I do. I once dreamt about the difference between a parody and a meta-parody. Maybe you should be a critic. I thought it was a beautiful dream, Jay. I really liked it. Compared to the dreams I have, it sounds so restful. But our time is up for this visit with the folks at the Little Apartment at 522. Already? I just got up. Tune in again for the next exciting episode of Our Life Together Among the Works of Art. 
Brought to you by the Serious Magazine readers of America, the folks who say, why do anything about it when you can talk about it? Read a magazine today. Wait, I just remembered more of the dream. Just before we got to the man with the cucumbers... It's time for Our Life Together Among the Works of Art, the radio show that was struck by H.L. Mencken's characterization of R. Emmett Terrell as believing that anything worth knowing could be grasped through the medium of the printed word, or something like that. Yes, folks, this is the radio show that believes the unexamined life is not worth living. I think our narrator's brought up a very interesting point. Now, I'm in total agreement with this Laura Ingalls Wilde. Uh, R. Emmett Terrell. Who's he? The, the guy who'd rather read than live. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. But we digress. Yeah, that's a good magazine, too. What? I can't stand this. What were we talking about before we interrupted? This is a radio show, damn it! Well, is it really so different from real life? Get it? Real life? Tape comes on reels? Uh, why don't you smoke some more? We just wasted 11% of this episode with these shenanigans. I thought they were Armenians. Before you came on with your engineers and stopwatches, Red was telling me a very interesting story. Uh, you thought that story was interesting. Now, what do you hear this one? We haven't even gotten through with the exposition yet. They're supposed to know who you are, so if you will just shut do up Do we get to say it in our own words? I'll do it. Oh, sure. You live in this incredibly disordered apartment on Manhattan's glittering Upper West Side, right? You're sitting at the kitchen table drinking your ninth cup of coffee of the morning. It's cheap and speed. The time is the mid-70s. You are struggling young writer. Oh, it's a struggle to write at any age. The person who wrote this script, for instance, is a little old lady in Holy Falls, Oklahoma. And she was telling me just the other day how she gets blocked now, just like she did when she was a pup. Or a cub, or whatever you call struggling young writers, you know? I think it uh, means struggling to get published. Well, I don't care if I ever get published. The important thing is the excuse to lock myself in my room and just let my fantasies carry me hither and thither on gossamer wings. I mean, why live when you can dream? At least that's how I feel right now. That's not to say I haven't had an interesting life. I would even say it's been more interesting than most. In fact, I'd say it's been too eventful. I'm tired of making mistakes. It's safer just to stay home. I can't believe you really feel that way, Red. I want to be published. I want to be famous. I've always wanted to be famous ever since I was a child. Well, I wouldn't mind if someone gave me an advance so I could finish this book and get on with the next one. I've got a great idea for a long novel. 
It would be called party. Just party. And all it is is this one long party that lasts for three days, and during the course of it, everyone's life is irrevocably altered. Now, I had a party like that once. Now, where I come from, they really know how to party. I mean, a party isn't something where you just show up, have a few drinks, and toddle off home again. A good party can go on for days. People crash, get up, sneak off with each other's lovers, you know, drive out to the lake and catch a sunrise, drop some acid, come back, stay up all the next day. I mean, the whole enterprise is fraught with drama. So the way this book is going to go, that's based on this party I had. Well, the way it happened in real life was that I gave this party. Now, I was living out in the country then in a the house, and I had a band, and I knew hundreds of people. Well, this party was this woman I'd been having an affair with for a real long time. It was about eight years. Michelle, her name was, and still is. And I invited these two couples. Murray, this good friend of mine, he was there with his girlfriend. And then this married couple, Eleanor and Stan, who were really my best friends, they were also there. So Murray and Eleanor had never met before. I don't know why, they just never run into each other. And Murray, he's from New York originally. And down there, everybody looked up to him as a northern sophisticate. And Eleanor, she's from a small town in Florida, and to her, Terminus is the big city. And immediately, she's impressed with Murray, and she's never met anybody like him. And of course, he has eyes for Eleanor, because anybody would. She's a fabulous woman. Most fabulous woman I know. Mm. Well, I dropped some acid just before the party began. So after an hour or two, I started peeking. So I had no real sense of time. And everything began to be just like a movie. Was just watching all this happen without being involved in it. So I notice at some point that Eleanor and Murray have disappeared. And Stan, Eleanor's husband, is still there standing with a crowd of people around him telling dumb jokes. And Murray's girlfriend is in the kitchen with Michelle. And they're into an intense conversation. And Murray's girlfriend is crying. Uh, she always was a weepy type. And Hey, are you making more coffee? Yeah, you want some? Did I ever turn down a cup of slow speed? What are you doing there? Hey, get your hands off. You never wait to let them dry. You're real impatient, I've noticed. Desperate for your fix or something? I can take it or let it alone. Uh, sure, I've seen you let it alone. Where was I? Back in Terminus at the party. As I recall, Stan's cracking jokes in the living room and Hoots is crying in the kitchen. All right. That sure was a great house I was living in back there. Here you go. Thanks. Had lots of room. That's one of the things that made this party so great. It was a big yard in back, two stories in the house, all these different rooms. Uh, uh, you left off at the kitchen table. Right, I'm getting to that. Getting back to it, I mean. So I'm not unhappy to see this development. Thanks. Even though Stan's my best friend, or was my best friend, because I knew Elner wasn't happy with him. He resented Elner's being so successful. She'd just been promoted to personnel manager for this company she worked for, Terminus General Central. And Stan was still a struggling musician. And she was making more money than he was, so he felt he didn't have any hold over. And she thought he had an easy life, sitting around getting stoned with the guys in the band and playing music all day. 
while she was working hard for her money, and she didn't like thinking she was just a groupie. So I guess she must have been ready for a change. And Murray, he was a stockbroker, and he was on his way up like her. So then what happened? I'm probably boring you to tears with this story. No, I was quite caught up in the swing of the narrative. I just thought you'd been awfully quiet. I don't know, people say I talk a lot. Oh, no, Red. Well, where was I? Well, while all this was going on, Michelle has started playing up to Stan in his misery. She's eating him up with her eyes while he's telling stories to the assembled throng. And Michelle always was pretty flirtatious, had to have men interested in her all the time. But this was laid on with a putty knife. And she starts asking him to get out his guitar and play. So he suggests that we all play all five of us who are in the band. I didn't want to because I was tripping. I didn't think I'd be able to keep up. And Michelle, she knows I'm tripping, but she goes on bugging me to play. So I just went out for a walk so I could be alone. Now in the book, I'd make this the acid sequence and put in a lot of hallucinations I didn't really have. So I walked around for a while and I kept thinking I'd meet someone. And that feeling on acid you get that you're not alone and you keep mm. seeing things out of the corner of mm, your eyes. Yeah. So eventually I went back to the house and immediately I felt as though a week had passed. I knew everything was changed even though it looked more or less the same. The guys were set up to play without me. And I went right through the living room without talking to anyone and up to my room where my guitar was. And when I heard the guy starting to my little accent started following along real quiet just playing for myself up in my room. It was my party, but I was an outsider. I couldn't get involved. So I played through the whole set, and when it ended, I decided I'd better see what was happening downstairs. So I went down, and there was a whole new crowd of people there, people I hardly knew. And Stan and Michelle had vanished, and Murray's girlfriend was long gone, and I still couldn't stand the party. So I got in my car and drove out to the beach. I had this strange, acidy sense that it was my party. I'd made all this stuff happen by having it, and I didn't need to be there. I was aware of the whole flow of life, the interconnectedness of everything. It didn't matter where I was. When the moon was setting, there were little silvery clouds zipping across the sky, the rush of the waves on the shore and the stars were out and all the human beings seemed comparable to the constellations moving in their appointed orbits everything preordained and eventually the sun came up and I was coming down there seemed nothing left to do but go home couldn't think of anywhere else to go so I went back the party was still going on and I couldn't remember if the people there were the same ones as when I left so I poured myself a scotch, and sometime after that I must have fallen asleep. All I remember was I woke up on the couch, and I wasn't tripping anymore, and Stan was there. And everyone had left, and there were half-empty paper cups and beer bottles all over the place. And Stan said, I left my guitar here last night, and I came to pick it up. And I said, Well, you'd better not forget anything, because this is probably the last time we'll meet. See, I didn't know for sure if anything had really happened between him and Michelle. I was just going on a hunch. 
but he must have thought I'd seen them together because he immediately looked guilty and said, Hey, I'm sorry, Red. I'm sorry this had to happen. And I said, Your apologies aren't worth a paper tiger, my former friend. He starts backing away from me saying, Hey, I'm really sorry, man. And I just folded my arms and glared at him till he slunk out the door with his guitar. So when he was gone, I made myself a cup of coffee and went back to the sofa. Thought about what life was going to be like. I thought about the 29-page letters Michelle and I wrote to each other when we were in love. And I thought about forming my own band, how we'd eclipse the Demon Five, the band I'd been in. I thought I'd call my new group the Beast from Hell, and we'd be the wave of the future. And then I fell asleep again. Wrap it up, Red. We're nearly out of time. Already? It seems like you began the story yesterday. Well, well then what happened? Ah, I thought you'd never ask. Well, I must have slept a long time, because when I woke up again... It was starting to get dark and Michelle was there. You know, in the suburbs, you know, people don't lock their doors. Their friends just walk right in. So she came up to me and put her arms around me. But I just said, don't get near me, bitch. You made your bed. You can just lie in it. She said, oh, I don't like him anymore. Not what after he did. I said, that's funny. I've lost a lot of respect for him, too. And she said, I'm not going to see him anymore. Honest. I said, well, I don't know about it one way or the other. And she said... Hey, please, cut it short, Red. The engineers are putting on their coats. This is very dramatic what's coming next. They're turning out the lights. They're about to turn off the tape recorder. You can tell me after the show. Oh, hell, I wanted this on tape. We'll read the book when it comes out. Anyway, she said, after eight years, you just can't slam the door in my face. Tune in again next time for our Life Together Among the Works of Art. Brought to you by the serious magazine readers of America. The folks who say, read a magazine today. One of the ones with old engravings of animals wearing clothes and lots of fine print. You'll like it. So then what happened? Well, she did go on seeing him, and I went on seeing her. It was all very complicated. This episode was written by Jessica Ramey and featured Robert Kinn as Red, Nancy Cohen as Phoebe, and Adrian Cronauer as the narrator, when I get a chance. Technical direction by Miles Smith, music by Maxwell Ramey. Recorded at the Acoustiguide Studios in New York. And those were a few episodes from Our Life Together Among the Works of Art, a series by Jessica Ramey, produced in 1980, aired on WBAI. Uh, ends up spanning five hours, so we may not get all of it here on Radio Drum Revival. However, they do have um, them archived on a website. Um, it's got a long URL, so I just, I'll put it in the notes. If you want to hear more, uh, you can download the ep- episodes there. Um, yeah, pointing to an era of Radio Drummer was produced on Reel to Reel. Now here 
podcast in the digital age. Uh, we'll be featuring that series again next week, and we'll also see if we can get Jessica Ramey herself on the phone so we can talk about the genesis of the series and about that uh, time and that life together <laughs> um, and that art. So uh, in the meantime, remember you can catch over 150 hours, maybe 160 hours now, of original audio drama programming at www.radiodramarevival.com. You can learn about the latest on audio drama news by following us on Twitter at Radio Drama, or search Facebook for Radio Drama Revival. We've got a Facebook page. Um, or on iTunes, the classic iTunes, just search for Radio Drama Revival. And that wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.